This is the Tao of Christ, and I'm Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which church historian Evelyn Underhill called the Unit of Life, and which Richard Rohr calls the Universal Christ, and which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. This is the Tao of Christ. Good morning, this is Marshall Davis. In these episodes recently, I have been interpreting the Gospel of John as a Gospel of non-duality. In the last episode, we looked at the first few sentences of the prologue of the Gospel of John, and we saw it as a non-dual creation story, describing how this seeming world of duality emerged from non-duality. The word that gave birth to the universe, it says, is the word, the logos, or the I am of Christian tradition. It is Yahweh or Hashem, meaning the name in Hebrew tradition. It is the Aom of Indian tradition and the Tao of Chinese tradition. The Gospel of John says that this eternal word became flesh. And Christianity understands this happening in Jesus and through Jesus in us. This is what makes this Christian non-duality. Every spiritual tradition articulates the perennial philosophy, as Aldous Huxley calls it in his own vocabulary. The Gospel of John articulates it using Christian vocabulary, and because I am a Christian, I also use this vocabulary, but I also try to draw parallels to other spiritual traditions as well. The first thing that this passage we're going to be looking at today which is John 1, verses 9 to 14, says, is that this word, this primordial and eternal Christ, enlightens every human being. It says, the true light that enlightens every man or every person was coming into the world. Another translation says, the true light was that which enlightens everyone who comes into the world. In other words, it's saying that everyone is enlightened. Now, what an extraordinary thing for this apostle to say, even to use the word enlightened at the very beginning of his gospel for what he's talking about, and to say that the word has been enlightening people long before the word ever became flesh in Jesus. This statement of John's Gospel is extraordinary and it's universalism and inclusivism. It is also extraordinary in saying that the goal of spiritual enlightenment, which is sought after by so many spiritual seekers and pilgrims, is already a reality for every person in the world. We are already enlightened or saved or liberated or awake or whatever term you want to use. Of course, 
enlightenment actually doesn't happen to a person. So we have to describe this language a little bit. When enlightenment is recognized, it is seen that there is no person. Enlightenment is present and the person is not. There's just the word, I am. The word is seen as being expressed in and through this body-mind. This is incarnation. Christianity says that the true light was incarnated, became flesh, enfleshed, consciously, bodily, present, than the man known to history as Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, this passage says that people did not recognize this. The passage says, let me read it for you. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt in us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John uses three different words here for recognizing the true light. Knowing, receiving, and believing. Light and life. Enlightenment and awakening was present, but people did not know it. They did not receive it. They did not believe it. In other words, they were living in spiritual darkness and ignorance. And it's the same today. This is the central message of the Christian gospel. That Jesus is present here now, but people do not see it. Christ is not dead and gone. Christianity says Christ is alive. This is the meaning of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. I am with you always, Jesus said, after the resurrection. The eternal Christ is present now. The kingdom of God is present now. Enlightenment is present now. It's just a matter of knowing, receiving, and believing he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not, it says. To know in the Bible is not mental or intellectual knowledge. It has nothing to do with holding right doctrines or reciting correct creeds. The verb know is used in the Bible for sexual intimacy. Knowing Christ is about spiritual intimacy with the divine. It is about becoming one with God, just as the Bible says that in sexual union, two humans become one flesh. In spiritual union, we become one with God. This is what I call unitive awareness, or you could call it unitive knowledge. He came to his own, and his own received him not, it says. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. The word receive used here in Greek means to join to oneself. It means to become one with. 
like when people are joined in marriage or by by blood. The difference is that when we receive Christ, when we are joined to Christ, our separate egos cease to be. And there is only Christ. As Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Receiving Christ means selflessness, literally. No self. To receive Christ means there's no longer an I, which is the, the Greek word ego, ego. There's only Christ. Passage also talks about believing in his name. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. This is not talking about the name Jesus. The name Jesus has not even been mentioned yet in the gospel. Now, it's all right to use the name Jesus if you want, as long as you mean by that the eternal Christ that was before the man Jesus was. But this passage uses the word, the word. You could you could paraphrase Jesus' words, before Abraham was, I am, and say just as truthfully, before Jesus was, I am. This I am is the name that is meant here. This is the eternal name that was mentioned at the very beginning of this gospel. This is the Logos. This is the Word. This is the I Am. This is the name that Moses learned at Mount Sinai in the burning bush. It is called in that story in Exodus, the eternal name. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation, God said to Moses. The unspeakable eternal name is the name that is to be received and believed. And when we do, it says we become children of God. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is what it means to be born again. Now, it's difficult for those of us who have been part of evangelicalism not to think of terms like born again and receiving him in evangelical terms. But in the Gospel of John, to be born again does not mean saying a little prayer and beginning a personal relationship with Jesus. Language like that cannot be found in the Bible. This is not about having Jesus as your BFF. Now, evangelicals are right in talking about receiving Jesus or receiving Jesus into your heart, but they don't go far enough. What they're talking about is a dualistic relationship. Jesus remains separate and different and apart from us. It's because relationships are by nature dualistic. There has to be two or more. But the Gospel of John is talking about non-dual identity. When you truly receive Jesus into your heart, then there's no room anymore in your heart for you. There's only room for Jesus. 
the ego that wants to have a relationship must die for one to be born again. When one truly and completely receives Jesus, then there is only Jesus. And by Jesus, I mean Christ, the eternal Christ, the I Am. Sometimes evangelicals will say, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I say that it's not a religion or a relationship. It is an identity. To be born again means to die and be resurrected with a new identity. It is to die to self and discover a new self, one's true identity. We die to who we thought we were and we are reborn to who we really are, to our true selves. One translation actually says this explicitly. It says that to those who knew, received, and believed, and I quote here, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. The gospel is not just about who Jesus is. It's about who we are. Not who we are physically, which is described here as being born of blood or born of the flesh. It's not about who we are socially, which is called here the will of man. Our true self is not our psychological self or our social self that society defines us as. It is who we spiritually are, which is called in this passage, children of God. It is not about us, but of who dwells in us, who is the child of God, the Son of God. The final verse says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt in us. Now that might sound a little bit different to you, because most translations translate this as among us. But it is better translated in us or within us. The Greek use, word used here is the word in, which is where we get the English word in. It's the same word used in that verse where Jesus says that the kingdom of God is within us. The word dwells in us. The I am dwells in us and is our true identity. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. This is what Colossians calls Christ in us, the hope of glory. Here in this passage it says, the word became flesh and dwelt in us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. This indwelling one is described here as full of grace and truth, and having glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now this is sometimes translated only begotten from the Father, or the one and only Son. And Christians have then taken this, and they have interpreted this as an exclusivistic claim, saying that Christianity has a monopoly on God. Because we have the only begotten Son of God, and those other religions do not. This is obviously not what it means here. For I said, we already saw that it said this word enlightens everyone who comes into the world. All enlightenment 
no matter what spiritual tradition, is from this one that's called the one and only Son. In this verse, one and only means that there is only one, and we partake of this one. And to say one and only Son is the same as saying there's only one God. This is a way of saying that divine reality is one. This one includes all. In other words, non-dual. By being joined to this one who enlightens every person, we partake of the non-dual reality that we call God. This is what it means to be children of God, born of God. That's it for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.